Hi everybody, welcome to the latest series three, episode one of Return of the Hat podcast from E92 Plus. I'm your host, Neil Langridge. I'm delighted today to be joined by Beth, who's the editor at InfoSecurity magazine. So we're going to be looking at some big cybersecurity topics from a slightly different angle, not so much just from the technology, um, but especially from the, the media and how organizations kind of, and all of us as a community respond. So hi Beth, thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to um, share my view on um, how we deal with uh, cybersecurity in the news. Perfect. So if you want to give us a kind of just a little bit of background about your, your role at the, the magazine and kind of what it encompasses. Yep. So I am the editor for Info Security Magazine, as you mentioned. So I oversee all the content um, that is published on our website, as well as curating uh, the agenda for our online summits, um, which happen twice a year. So those are two day virtual events. Um, I work with the team on our webinars as well. And I also um, work closely with the Info Security Europe team. So the two brands are kind of aligned in partnership and um, provide information to them, especially on the conference agenda. So um, involved in a bit of everything, but um, making sure we keep our fingers on the pulse in terms of what's going on in the cybersecurity world. Yeah, so obviously that encompasses obviously, yeah, the big topics and the trends, as well as the breaking news, because obviously, you know, I think we all know this stuff happens, um, you know, kind of quite regularly and obviously kind of hits the, uh, should we say, hits the consumer media now as well. So I, su I suppose it'd be nice to kind of at a start to take a snapshot in terms of kind of where you see uh, kind of the cybersecurity in terms of the media at the moment and in terms of kind of, you know, what those kind of bigger trends are that you're, that you're seeing and hearing about. Yeah, so I mean, cybersecurity itself is a huge growth market. We see it as a growth market, um, despite um, economic challenges in the last like 12 to 18 months, it continues to be a market that's growing. So it is increasing in importance. And it's interesting, you kind of point out it's filtering into the mainstream media more than um, probably ever before. Um, I think one thing we're seeing in terms of how the media cover it is when there is a big breach, everyone is is all over it. So yeah. um, some really good examples this year, which um, especially in the UK, you would have seen on like the six o'clock news, uh, the Royal Mail um, incident that was covered quite largely um, on the mainstream media, as well as um, I think the 23andMe um, issue in the US, um, which we'll definitely get onto. That's been one that's kind of filtered into the mainstream media. So we're seeing these incidents um, getting coverage front and center in people's living rooms really yeah. um but for us obviously our um we've been around for a long time um a couple of decades i think now so since um cybersecurity's infancies infancy so in terms of like the trends we're seeing in that kind of deeper what people are talking about within the industry not just um talking to the, the general public, I, I kind of made a bit of a list um, because we've just come out of our kind of predictions uh, weeks or months. So um, around November, we'll start getting emails from a lot of vendors saying, this is what we think is going to happen, or these are the hot topics we're thinking are going to be talked about in 2024. Obviously, sometimes with the vendors, you have to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt because if it's yeah. an email security vendor, for example, they're going to probably think, email security is a hot topic, but I have broken it down um, into things that we're kind of talking about overall. And obviously AI is a big one. And that's an interesting yeah. one because that's also, it hit the mainstream media like mad. What's, what's interesting for us though at Info Security Magazine is making sure that what we write about in terms of AI 
is relevant to cybersecurity because it is a really broad topic. So yeah. with the cybersecurity industry, it's really thinking about how does it affect cybersecurity? How does it affect organizational security? What tools are being used? And I think a lot of cybersecurity professionals still have a lot of questions around that. So that's a really big one. Um, we're definitely seeing the law enforcement cases. So Quackbot, that was a big one last year where their um, malware infrastructure was taken down by um, FBI and um, an international coalition of partners. Again, that's something that enters the mainstream media quite a lot as well, because it's quite a big, shiny, um, interesting um, story, like law enforcement takes down cyber criminals. Yep. What we do, though, is we dig into it a little bit more. What does that actually mean? We'll talk to threat analysts um, for um, various companies and say, well, are they actually gone? Will this evolve? And um, dig into that a little bit more. Um, the third uh, trend that we're also seeing is regulation. Um, that's not necessarily as like interesting and sexy, I guess, um, as the FBI getting involved and in taking down cyber criminals. But for cybersecurity professionals, NIS, um, the SEC changes in the US as well, they are hot topics and they are people, people are really talking about those. And then um, finally, I just wanted to mention that sometimes the more interesting like threat analyst stuff and advanced persistent threats and nation states and all that that can be really interesting and really great to write about but some of the most basic issues are what are causing the big breaches um password uh bad passwords they that it, it's a thing it continues yep. to be a yep. thing um and social engineering and phishing so while we sometimes we're in the media really want to get our teeth stuck into these like really like crazy ways of hacking into an organization actually it's probably going to be a phishing email that someone clicks on that is still the main pathway to entry for um, cyber criminals. So those are a few things that I think are hot topics for us, but also you can see how they infiltrate into the mainstream media as well. Yeah, it's an interesting balance, isn't it? Because as you say, you want to also want to write about the, the kind of really interesting stuff and the fascination, but I suppose it's it's kind of like, you know, it, it is that kind of uh, groundhog day when, you know, you look at the stats in terms of where the, the, the largest amount of cyber crime revenues come from. And it's still, it's fraud, it's social engineering, it's business email compromise, which which is the kind of the same sort of stuff. And as you say, it's kind of, it's a cyber fundamental um, that I suppose kind of collectively as an industry, we haven't really, we've definitely not fixed yet. Um, and it is the same, it's the same sort of stuff pretty regularly. Yeah, and it's the thing that organizations and when we speak to senior cyber security leaders, it's what they're grappling with the most, um, yeah. that education and awareness of their own employees um, to make sure that they are up to date with the latest social engineering tactics. And what's interesting is it's not just those phishing emails coming into your work inbox. It's also through social media as well. Yeah. So um, organizations are thinking, well, I can protect my emails, but I can't necessarily protect what Joe Bloggs does on his social media account. And if they if if cyber criminals know that Joe Bloggs works at X company, then that can be an issue. So that's kind of how it's evolving. And obviously, we always talk about how it's getting <clears throat> excuse me, more and more sophisticated, um, which it which it really is. They it is, I think it is a game of cat and mouse. I know that's um, something that is often said, but it, it truly is. Yeah. 
a kind of interesting kind of yeah kind of off on a bit of a tangent but we, we talked to kind of touched on that kind of consumer awareness and becoming you know headlines on the on the bbc news or the, or the guardian or what have you but is I, I suppose is that i mean it's a good thing in terms of obviously it's a bad thing in terms of consumers more being targeted and obviously during covid we all had the you know that rise in phishing emails of you've got to click on for your vaccine or delivery notice on your door for prime or whatever it happens to be but actually you know, are you seeing that increase in uh, level of consumer awareness and understanding, you know, kind of really having an impact in terms of how organisations are approaching it? Or, you know, is it is it a benefit? Are, are we all more collectively educated or is it the fact that we're just, you know, uh, kind of we're hit with so much and it is getting more complex and varied that actually, you know, we all know more, but we're actually not any further forward because of that because at the end of the day you know we're all at work we're at work now but we're also still people and we're the same people that will go home and then you know kind of click on stuff at home or deal with our relatives who've clicked on something um you know so you know is that helping that kind of broader consumer level of awareness of like what cybersecurity involves I think um, I think we're probably more aware than we ever have been, and that will continue. And what I think is quite interesting is um, maybe it's because because we are really plugged in, so it becomes a little bit more like it's like if you're thinking about someone in a red hat, you'll see red hats everywhere. Yeah. Um, but what I find interesting is when I like click onto the news, or even if I'm scrolling through social media, cybersecurity stuff will come up. A recent one actually that I've seen a couple of times is um, I think his name's Anthony Cohen. He's a big presenter in the US, and he was hit right. by a. Um, as cyber crime um relating to his banking and he oh, went on a show and talked about what actually happened and i think the more that happens where you've got celebrities or people that are well known so hey this happened to me it could happen to anyone um that's got to be a good thing and i think that's probably something you wouldn't have seen um a few years ago in terms of organizations approaches as well to this education piece what i think is quite interesting and i've heard it from um a couple of senior people in the cybersecurity world from the end user side is in terms of education, it's good for them not to just approach it by you need to protect the business. If they can say, well, you need to protect your family. So you yeah. need, this is how you could be scammed and lose personal money, not just our business money. So educating them about online scams around the holidays or how, um, phishing attempts are coming through text and social media and stuff and saying this is a toolkit you can use in your personal life as well. I think that's where I get the feedback that they're seeing success in that education piece. So it's not just about, well, we need to protect the business. No, we need to protect you as a person because actually that could impact the business one day. But also it means that you're going home to your family and saying, well, hey, let's just check out that text before you do click on it. And like thinking twice and making it more of an everyday thought rather than just, a, OK, nine to five, I've got to kind of think about this, but it's not a priority. So I think it is filtering in from a multiple different um, angles into people's everyday um, psyche. And I think the fact that pretty much everyone knows about the delivery scams now, like the text, like Royal Mail, but it's royal.mayle or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think some of those, because they've been so prominent in the news and just in general conversation, that education piece is getting better, but I wouldn't say it's like we're there and everyone knows. Obviously, there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're definitely not there yet. And I suppose that's also in terms of, you know, kind of maybe as we start coming on to how organisations do respond to attacks and then, you know, when 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 yourselves kind of get involved, are we are we beginning to see it? Um, uh, you're seeing interaction with departments outside of just cyber security. So, you know, it covers operations, it covers finance, it covers obviously senior C-level leadership that because there's that greater level of understanding, they kind of can buy in more to what needs to be done from a, a you know an info security perspective, because there is that better understanding of what this actually is, rather than you know the IT crowd being in the basement and they're the IT people and we'll just stay away from them. I think everybody understands it a bit better, so hopefully that that can kind of help drive more executive engagement. Yeah, and I think I mean one of the things we talk a lot about um, with CISOs that we engage with is how to not make things over technical and over complicated yeah. to really use communication as a tool in your arsenal to get the uh, message across about these cyber threats because once people say what once people hear it in their language they're more likely to adopt um, good practices whereas if they hear it in either scary language or um, technical language it just kind of goes over people's heads i mean i think a lot of people would admit that they are not technical experts even if they do sit within cybersecurity. so having um, common language with people is really important and it's something we hear from senior leadership within cyber all the time is about how do i best engage people that are not within the cybersecurity yeah. world to to be able to get my message across and protect my business. Yeah, it's, a, it's a kind of one thing I didn't touch on later, but I, yeah, kind of raise it now in terms of that balance between positivity and negativity. You know, as a, as a cybersecurity marketer myself, I'm very conscious of not wanting to focus on fad, fear, uncertainty, yeah. account, negative message, but you're all going to get hacked by our stuff. Um, that's really, really important. And I suppose that, you know, kind of similarly with yourselves, the reality is, is, you know, I think we know this, we might not like it, but bad news sells newspapers, you know, kind of, you know, kind of, you know, kind of like the scary headline for you, from your perspective drives clicks. But there is that balance of not wanting to just be very negative, and not, as well as that not wanting to make it very technical, I suppose. You know, how do you, how do you, how do you approach finding that right balance? Because it's not, it's it, tricky in terms of doing the right thing as well as driving more engagement and readership. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, it is a balancing act. And I think this goes for any journalism, not just within our industry. Yeah. Um, I was listening to uh, another podcast earlier today, and a journalist was talking about how um, she gets rated on her columns that she writes, and she's got to think of stuff that will get clicks. But if enough stuff gets clicks, then you can start writing about the stuff you're more passionate about as well yeah. to balance it out. So there's a little bit of that. Um, in terms of how I like to approach things is um, I think the Royal Mail um, cyber attack last year is a good um, example because it was quite an ongoing story. It was a big story. So we were competing with the BBC and The Guardian who are also covering it. But obviously we've got a specific audience. So we like to cover the initial what's happened so people can get that click like, OK, what what has actually happened? And then I like to dive into the so what. Okay, so what does it mean for our audience? Maybe explain some of the um, elements of the incident, give a bit of guidance. Um, obviously, we often get comment from vendors saying, well, if they had done this, so we do be, we ca we're careful with, we try and be careful with what we pick out of that because yeah. sometimes it'll be, again, if we talk about an 
email security vendor they might say well if they had this kind of email security this might have not happened and sometimes it's like well it kind of would have happened anyway yeah. um so it's really diving into that so what so yes you, you might have not hopefully not too scary a headline but something that makes people click but hopefully we provide a lot of additional information about the incident what it actually means for you as a cybersecurity professional what the fallout is what lessons can be learned from it so it's taking that deeper dive rather than just being like this big scary thing happened okay <laughs> great what do i do as a cybersecurity pro professional what do i do with that information um so we try and add a little bit more to it um as the story goes on as well and that's something we're definitely going to do more of this year so um i work with a great team of journalists so um james coker who's my deputy editor and kevin poirot who's our news reporter and we talk all the time about okay this big incident has happened but what can we add? What value can we add to not necessarily make more people click, but people to stay on the page and read the information that we want to get across to people. So that's where we're trying to avoid just being fud and scary and yeah. that kind of thing. But it is a balancing act because success doesn't really sell. Like, oh, great, this company hasn't ever been breached. Like, no, no yeah. one's going to click on that. Um, and I think it's... Um, an issue that the cybersecurity industry has as a whole is we do focus on the negative a lot and don't champion our successes. So if anyone listening wants to share like a success with me, yeah, I'm more than I'm more than happy to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, well, in terms of successes, though, one thing we have been doing and I've been driving is um, interviews with CISOs to say, tell us something that you have implemented that's worked well for others to learn from um because and these might not be the stories that get a hundred thousand clicks or whatever but i think they're really valuable in getting cso's to share the accomplishments that they've had whether it's implementing a new way of doing things a new recruitment strategy because um skills and that uh, recruitment gap is still huge and a huge issue but sharing those successes and we try and especially in our conference programs try and make sure we're not just fear 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 we're actually sharing practical advice that people can take away and think okay that was I'm going in the right direction or I can learn from that like it's not just about the news like this is what happened it's can I learn something from this yeah, and I think that kind of collaboration is, I think, something as an industry that we could actually do better. And I don't just mean necessarily from the CISO, because I think the CISO community probably do do that. But I'd say us in terms of the channel and vendors, because it, it is very competitive. But actually, we're all, I'd like to think, trying to fight the good fight. We're all, yeah. on, the, we're all on the good side. So actually, you know, is that something where we could do a lot better, and you know, and kind of, you know, work with the media such as yourselves in terms of driving that good news and driving best practice, talking more sometimes in an open forum, maybe sometimes, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a private forum, but sharing what's working, not just in terms of big trends and analytics, but just in terms of best practice of working and also collectively working how the, the technology vendors work with CISOs and the IT teams in terms of not just how to sell more tech to them, but how to just make this stuff work better and collaborate more. I think that feels like something that we maybe, maybe we don't do as much as we should do. I think um, in, in recent conversations I've had with end user um, cybersecurity professionals, I feel like sometimes they think it's a bit of an us and them with the yeah. vendors. 
and it's they're very um aware that they're being sold to which yeah. is completely understandable that's the what the vendors are there to do yeah. but it's having a better understanding of what their problems actually are because i think sometimes uh, vendors can say well there's this problem and we've got this solution but actually the cybersecurity teams in whatever company are like oh is that another problem i've already got a list of 10 yeah. <laughs> so yeah. i think that collaboration um point is really really crucial and i think that's where um events do step in um yeah. Info Security Europe obviously is a real key one to have those collaborative talks where hopefully vendors and cybersecurity professionals can work together to understand what the problems actually are. Because one of the problems we always hear about is the skills gap. Like we always hear about that. That is over and over again one of the main challenges. Um, so understanding those kind of issues, not just what your product is built for but also okay well how does that work with these problems um that they have is is really crucial and i think it is about um making that collaborative effort between those two kind of sides of the coin um so they're not necessarily facing away from each other all the time is 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 really vital i think going forward and as you said it is it's really busy saturated market there is so much competition so from my side obviously i'm getting vendors speaking to me all the time emailing me my inbox is <laughs> quite yeah. busy um and if i don't get back to you um it's a it's 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 not um nothing personal but they're competing for space in the media they're competing for the ears of the CISOs. so you really need to think about okay well how can i stand out and actually solve someone's problem rather than adding to it and how do my tools fit within the current landscape for sure yeah definitely i want to pick up on something you kind of mentioned there as well around the skills gap that we do talk about a lot and you know kind of stem and within within schools and kind of you know kind of you know kind of what i see with my kids at school and kind of how exciting kind of it necessarily could come into i suppose the thing you talk about of actually as well there's a i don't want to say it's a responsibility because that sounds like i'm putting it on you but how collectively as a community we want to talk about again cybersecurity in a more positive way and not always too technical because we want to make sure that we don't just recruit the same sort of people into the industry you know i love working inside because it is exciting and it's dynamic and stuff is changing and you feel like you're hopefully doing a good thing but we want to make sure we're attracting as broad a range of people as possible and it's not just technical and it's not just complex and it's not just negative so i suppose in terms of that skill gap how we all talk about it is really important as well in terms of getting getting a wider range and more people come, wanting to come in and work in the industry yeah so um we are covering the skills gap all the time and um, the isc2 uh state of the workforce report is always a good indicator of where we are and last year they highlighted that that skills gap globally is now at four million people which is a crazy amount i think it was up yeah and i think it was up about 12 percent on 2022's figures so it's growing i don't necessarily think that people aren't attracted to working in cyber. I One of the big issues I think there is, and this is what I've heard um, discussed within the industry, is that entry-level jobs are really hard to find. 
because there's a lot of pressure on organizations to get a good cybersecurity team in place and having the ability to take someone on, take a risk with someone that hasn't got a lot of experience um, is obviously quite big. And finding those entry level jobs, you might have just done a master's, but if you're looking at jobs that are requiring you to have five years experience and obviously there's yep. always the jokes about having 10 years experience in something that's only been in existence yep. for yep. five yep. years that always happens yep. so i think really thinking about okay how can we welcome people that are already interested that have looked at the info security yep. magazine website and not been totally put off by what we're reporting <laughs> on and how can we get those young people to join us because I think that is one of the big missing points from what I've heard in discussion is, right, I've got all these great kids that I've mentored, but we're looking for an entry level position for them and they just don't exist. Everyone has got a gap, but it's for someone more senior or someone with more experience. So I definitely encourage people to take a chance um, on entry level people because you might be surprised. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I think that's a no a, a great point. I think it it, it it does require bravery, and I think in challenging economic times, people always kind of want to play a safe bet. But actually, yeah, having people coming in with a fresh approach, I think you know, in oil industries, always can can yeah can definitely help. So so one of the things we kind of wanted to cover was kind of taking a bit more of a, a deep dive into you know kind of when breaches happen, you know, when attacks happen, and it kind of gets reported. So. You know, it'd be interesting to kind of, you know, for, uh, to understand the, the timeline of when when you guys here. Now you mentioned obviously kind of compliance and legislation, and obviously if people need to, um, you know, kind of submit and they need to tell the ICO that something happened, that can kind of kick things off. But but you know, kind of how often, you know, where's the point at which you guys kind of necessarily kind of hear about it that you get engaged? And I suppose the different processes, because you know, you're going to start engaging with different stakeholders. There's going to be technical, but I imagine there's PR and then there's legal. So, you know, can you talk us through either, you know, kind of what it typically might be, or a couple of examples in terms of, you know, kind of what that that the new cycle looks like um, from a, you know, from a breach. Yeah, so obviously um, if a breach has to be disclosed and reported, um, that's a really good source for us. Sometimes um, a company will also make a statement themselves because what they want to do is make their customers aware that something's happened. So that will sometimes publicly go out. Sometimes that will be a message that goes direct to their customers, though. Um, but if you've got thousands and thousands of customers, um, often that will then get posted. So those are kind of some of the first points um, of contact. We will try and reach out to the companies, but um, I think the Royal Mail example was really good in terms of how the media should approach these attacks because what we found was that most of the time they're not going to really have much to add. So we do pick and choose when we reach out to the company that has been um, the victim of a breach because really are they going to say anything other than what's already publicly available they might have a standard comment to add but that and that's fine we completely understand that so it's then kind of understanding okay from the information that we do have what can we glean from that is there any other experts within the industry that can provide comment there's a few people that often do um yeah. and we try and make sure it is as neutral as possible um as well as i said earlier the email security vendor might say well if yeah. they have this in place but we do try and make sure that we're not relying on those um types of comments too much um and as i said so we'll cover the initial breach and then really look into like why 
um, why it happened if we can. A lot of the time the information is minimal and you can kind of understand why a company yeah. would take that approach. So it's kind of how to make the story applicable to our audience uh, with the information that we have available and not speculating too much because that can kind of come into play with some of the commentary like on social media, for example, because you are given quite little information until maybe a few weeks later when they're like, right, we've done an instant report about this. Uh, one really good recent example that was a really interesting story to dive into that my colleague Kevin covered was recently Mandiant had their Twitter account taken over. So everyone knows Mandiant as the uh, threat analyst company that works within Google Cloud. So when their account started sending out tweets about crypto um, currency, it was a bit like, okay, that's happened. How's that happened? They, I think cybersecurity companies, when an incident does happen, are really good at sharing information after they've dealt with it i think as a bit of they've got to have a gold standard in terms of that else if they're not dealing with it well it's off-putting for customers but so we cover we we didn't actually cover the initial tweet because it was just like this is a tweet and then obviously everyone was piling in on social media but once they re released their report and investigation into what actually happened and it was an issue with the two-factor authentication and their account was hijacked and they had a lot more detail to offer we did actually wait and cover it then because yeah. we knew that all we had at the beginning was there's a tweet that doesn't look quite right okay yeah. it, it goes back to that so what Yes. You could find that on social media anyway. So uh, we did coverage along the uh, fallout of what they had found in their report, which was really interesting and also linked to some other incidents that have happened. Uh, so the SEC was also targeted by a similar kind of crypto yeah. um, campaign. So it's looking at the bigger picture rather than focusing too narrowly on the actual incident. But that's coming from... Info Security Magazine, which were our audience is cybersecurity professionals. Yeah. Whereas if you're, as as I said, like the BBC or the Guardian, you're going to take a different approach to these things, uh, especially the big ransomware or cyber attacks. The British Library, Royal Mail, they all hit the the headline news, but they're not giving quite as much detail in terms of analysis in some cases. Yeah, I think the British Library, if, if I remember right, it was an interesting one. And, well, I think I've, I've read quite a bit and obviously, yeah, in mainstream media because it's been going on a long time as well. But that was one of those examples, if I remember right, it was that they never said it was a cyber attack at the start. There's been a yeah. there's been an IT incident, shall we say. So that's yeah. an interesting one for you guys because I, I suppose you talk to people within the industry to work out is, has has, has, a, system, has a data centre just gone down or actually have they been uh, that's that's definitely another one we consider um we do take a look at the information we get from other people within the industry so sometimes if it's quiet you're like okay is this incident just sounds like someone unplugged something they shouldn't have or, or something like that i think a good example of that actually that kind of um took the world by storm L late last year was uh, the faa in the u.s and um, some of their systems went down and people were like, oh, is it a cyber attack? And it wasn't. It was just something that someone had overridden something or, or it was a technical error. So you do have to kind of skirt a fine line between that um, 
in terms of is it actually a cyber attack is it just a technical it issue uh, because it, for example when your phone stops working it's not necessarily a cyber attack something might have just gone wrong with the update or something yeah. um so there is there is that to consider and we can kind of i don't know if there's any kind of magic involved but sometimes you can kind of just get a feel for what it is and ask around and get people's opinions um for sure but yeah. the British Library one is really interesting because it's a big, it's a big brand, I guess, uh, that's yeah. been affected for quite a long time. They've been quite open with their communication about it, and it was recently as uh, as, as recently as this week they actually started to say some of their catalogues were back online. Very good example of a, a, a institution that clearly hasn't paid the ransom either because yeah. they've been affected for quite a number of months, and that's a story that will continue, I think, as they continue to work through this. So it's very good example of a long time of um coverage with yep. milestones along the way which we can definitely uh learn from yeah and are you seeing organizations kind of seeing because obviously you know stuff happens things go wrong it happens with it with and it can happen to any organization are they seeing that opportunity to actually maybe be a little bit more open as a way of actually being, you know, as being not just responsible, but actually good PR, that if they talk through it, they explain, they do the reports after they engage more with, you know, with yourselves, that they, they can turn it round from being a more of a PR disaster to actually something that is a little bit more positive in terms of how they've responded. I th yeah, I think you will be judged on how you respond. Um, if you batten down the hatches and are very uh, difficult in terms of your communication, that can be a bad story in itself. If you take a long time to disclose information, yeah. that's obviously a bad story. But each organization is going to have a different way of approaching things and different priorities in terms of how they deal with this. I would say going back to the example of obviously Mandiant talking about what happened with their crypto hijack. I know we've had breaches um, relating to LastPass and um, Okta were two, where they give quite a lot of information out. And that I would imagine is because they are within the industry. There are companies that have interest in cybersecurity anyway i think yeah. when they're really open that's a really good example of being transparent talking about it at info security europe last year i think kevin um interviewed the uh, cso for last pass and he talked about the incident and i think when you can get those people in front of um issues and talking about it i think a lot of other organizations and industries can look up to them and think okay uh, bad things happened but actually people yeah, just yeah. want a bit of an explanation and want to also learn from it themselves I think that's a key thing and I'm sure outside of the media there are groups and forums and whatsapp channels that are private where people yeah. are sharing this information but if you can do it publicly I think that does make a lot of difference in terms of how people look at you after a breach if you look yeah. like you've tried not to share information you've tried to skirt around an issue you put blame on someone that's not you it just it's it's quite damaging to you as a brand and people will remember that yeah i i suppose that's the natural point to ask your your perspective on the 23 and me uh recent breach and their approach um to i, I think they probably took that latter i think that you know in terms of their response to, to customers was was interesting should we say yeah i think um i think what's happened there though is their legal team have got involved and yeah. as soon as that happens it is a different story and so we're talking about how they've been um 
kind of fighting a legal battle now since the breach well it wasn't really a breach it was the credential stuffing campaign yeah, which left yeah. a lot of customers data vulnerable and what they said is well actually if the customers or users had updated their passwords etc this possibly wouldn't have happened but from their point of view i think the the legal team are now involved so that's where they're kind of being defensive and it is unfortunate that that document got leaked uh, that said that so i can understand why that's happening but for them it just it's not a great um response unfortunately but i can understand why yeah, they've taken I mean, that approach um yeah, and um yeah. that's that's kind of one thing that is difficult is when you get different stakeholders involved i'd imagine yeah absolutely i and i think that's that's yeah when you get legal involved and it becomes not such a not so much of a technical thing i think that's yeah that's where, where that changes and and, and i suppose we, we kind of touched on compliance and what have you as, as well so it'd be interesting to know kind of your, the, the level of engagement you get from regulators such as the ico um you know kind of how how often and how much do they want to engage with with the media such as yourselves you know in terms of you know from a positive way of saying well okay pe but people need to people need to submit they've got 72 hours to notify of a breach all of this the, your legislation around kind of gdpr and everything but actually you know as that as that kind of um you know kind of regulator and in, in, independent role there is an opportunity for them to kind of get involved from a positive perspective to remind people of what they need to do to share best practice do, do, do they do that is that is that increasing uh, yeah i mean we don't get anything directly from them but i'm sure if we reach out for comment we will get a response um yeah. so i wouldn't have an issue with reaching out to any of the regulators in terms of understanding um either something that's happened or an update they've had or something but i think the um ICO, for example, they have their own like press agenda that they 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 do provide. The NCSC as well, obviously not necessarily a regulator, yeah. but they're very good at sharing information and kind of keeping those things that you mentioned in terms of like best practice and um, what you should be doing at the top of the agenda from their point of view. So yeah, they they definitely are there and make a concerted effort to make sure that their message is being reinforced and repeated, whether that's through updates, blogs, reports. And that's really great for us as well, because then we can pick out that information and share it with our audience. So hopefully it gets a wider reach. Yeah. And, and also, imagine they're not trying to sell anything. So. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think that's definitely been a positivity that, you know, the increased profile of the ICO and things, you know, things like the launch of the NCSE, you know, kind of wasn't, you know, wasn't necessarily actually that long ago, I think, in terms of raising the profile and I suppose highlighting the, the seriousness from the government in terms of, you know, kind of outreach and education and, and helping address this issue, I think, has, has put, you know, that's has been, been a, a positive without doubt. Yeah, I mean, I, I know we've got um, CISA in the US, but I do think um, maybe it is a bit of UK bias, but I do think that NCSC is um, one of the global, globally recognised yeah. uh, institutions that is pro, uh, providing a lot of tools, a lot of advice and uh, a lot of feedback on that cybersecurity issue. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just on the, the kind of on the we kind of just touched on the, the legal side as well. Do you, you know, do you often sometimes, you know, are there instances where, where legal do kind of get involved a little bit more in terms of, you know, trying to keep the media away as much as possible? Because we talk about, you know, having that level of openness is kind of important, but I'm sure, you know, sometimes they're going to want to hide it, despite the fact that, you know, at some point it is just going to it is just going to break out. 
Um, I wouldn't say it's been an issue we've really come across, to be honest with you. And um, sometimes when that, I think it goes back to uh, when you're initially reporting on something, sometimes you know you'll just get that one line. Yeah. Yes, we can confirm this has happened. Yep. We're working on it. And then that, you know, has been a conscious decision by the organization to say we can only say so much. So that's that's absolutely fine. And that's something that I think most journalists would be aware of um, whatever industry they're covering. Sometimes yeah. you are just going to get that one one line response because they can or just don't really want to say too much more until they know the facts. That's I think that was the one of the things with the Royal Mail incident. You don't. They don't even know all the facts no, yet. So no, no. piling on them and asking them, well, what about this and what about this, isn't necessarily going to get you the answers you want either. No, no, absolutely. So in terms of where you see that, kind of collectively as an industry, we we, we could you know kind of do better um, in terms of that engagement, that outreach, that that more positive messaging. You know, kind of, kind of, kind of you know, what would you like to see from from kind of us collectively within the within the info security community in terms of you know having a more 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 positive approach and also better at sharing what's working, what's best practice. You know where we're where we're winning, I suppose. Yeah. Um. So I think one thing is thinking outside of our own bubble a little bit. Um. So thinking about talking to rather than talking peer to peer. Um. Talking outside of that, and I think I mentioned uh, earlier, like really good examples of people on mainstream media talking about breaches, talking about incidents. Um. Getting that external outside of our cybersecurity world involved and making sure you're communicating it in a way that people will understand and trying not to come at things with too much of an agenda. I know it's difficult for everyone um, and especially if you do sit within a vendor and you've got certain uh, pressures and certain targets and stuff like that to hit, great. But if you can establish yourself as a voice that and there are people out there that do a really good job of this. So they're associated with vendors, but actually you would look to them for relatively um, sound advice or commentary. Yeah. Um, coming at it from that approach, um, I think is really useful and is something that we'll look out for. Um, and again, I go back to that example. If you are with an email security vendor and you say, well, if they had an email security yeah. thing, that okay we're, we're probably not going to use that but if you were with an email security vendor but say well actually i've been working in this industry for 25 years and i know this or i've got this take on something great we'll 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 definitely consider like having a chat with you and learning from yeah. you um so yeah it's it's a it's a balancing act and i completely understand why people are like but i need to mention that we yeah. do this product great but also um if we can build a trusting relationship where we know you're not gonna necessarily do that then that makes it really easy for us to then pick up the phone or send you an email or a message on twitter and say hey what do you what do you think about this yeah. or and also saying oh actually i don't have anything i can add yeah. that's also fine um yeah. and i think also promoting yourself as that kind of thought leader that isn't just necessarily peddling a, a message is is really critical for people that want to make a mark within the industry that are on the uh, vendor side yeah yeah absolutely but I, and i think the one thing that kind of I think I'm conscious of, and obviously, you know, this is kind of, you know, entirely obviously from my perspective, working in, you know, as we call it, you know, the, the channel distribution, resellers, MSPs. I think, I think, you know, when when the worst thing happens, you know, and, and an organisation gets a breach, the IT team 
see something going on and go, oh, well, that's that's definitely not good. The first people they often pick the call, phone up to won't necessarily be one of their many technology vendors. It'll be their trusted partner. It'll be their, their reseller or their MSP. And actually, I think we've all got to do collectively a better job of of talking to talking to yourselves because we're often the first people that they that they will speak to and will be a little bit more independent and have that kind of experience but don't necessarily aren't necessarily as good at um kind of you know kind of self-promotion if you like of being as aware because we don't have the we don't necessarily have the you know the people or the the, the expertise in in working with the media i think there's a there's a whole community in a whole community out there that i think kind of collectively we need to we need to kind of get out a little bit more and and and, and leverage that you know that that expertise and that experience they have yeah and i mean with experiences it is it's challenging because you can't always say well i worked with this company because they had a massive data breach actually maybe that company doesn't want you like sharing that but if you can if you have a trusted partner and you can say hey we've we've overcome this issue now i'd like to use it as like a case study or an example we can say maybe make it a bit more uh, ambiguous who the the organization is that's great we still want to learn from that we still want to hear about okay you worked with a company in the manufacturing industry that had an issue and this is how you dealt with it um so it's just it's just walking that line and understanding what you can talk about and as soon as you've understood that you can probably go to um go towards commenting on things that are happening based on the experience you have but um yeah it's it's again like i said it's about establishing yourself as not someone that you think has an agenda when you talk yeah. to them um someone that is just someone that's got a lot of great experience which i know so many people that you work with likely do as you said yeah yeah and then just kind of just kind of beginning to, to get to the end and just finishing off obviously you know you guys as part of not just obviously the the, the magazine the digital presence but especially in terms of the events kind of speaking, you know, kind of working with people who are going to be defining that agenda for, you know, those big kind of topic items that are going to be going to be discussed both in, you know, kind of, you know, maybe kind of, you know, kind of more peer to peer and, you know, kind of pro the kind of like uh, kind of closed events, but also the kind of the, the more open forums. What are you what are you seeing in terms of those those kind of big topic items that, that you know, kind of collectively we're going to be talking about kind of, you know, uh, in this upcoming year? Okay, so I think it kind of goes back to what I said at the beginning. AI um, yeah. is going to continue to be a big talking point. Uh, regulation is a huge one. It's an issue for everyone. Um, I think we have supply chain risk as well. I didn't mention that earlier, but that is something that yes. everyone's grappling with. And obviously, we've seen a lot of big instances last year. The Move It um, instance was yeah. a uh, reminder that that's still a huge vulnerability. And also the uh, people side of things training and awareness and as well as uh, recruitment and retention i think those are if i choose five um those yeah. are the big things that we're going to be discussing and i think none of it is necessarily new it's thinking about okay we do have this issue what is our new approach to it so really outside the box thinking as well people are really keen to listen to things that haven't necessarily been brought up before so if you're thinking well i've got a i've got a take on that and i don't know that anyone else is chatting about that share it because yeah. as i said nothing's new it's just we are, need to look at new approaches to the issues that do continue within our industry
Yeah, and I think two of the kind of elements that you picked out, especially around kind of that personal kind of training and uh, uh, education and awareness that's that, that for an individual and supply chain, I think that highlights as much as anything else when we talk about trends that might be in specific organization size or type of attacks or verticals. It's not, it is everybody because, you know, everybody, everybody can get hit. Everybody uses a computer and can click on something and everybody is in a supply chain at, at one point or another. So I think that's the, the most important thing that, every, you know, there isn't necessarily a particular threat vector or, 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 or kind of vertical that's going to get targeted. Everybody kind of potentially could be at risk and therefore, you know, everybody needs to take the take the right approach and, and, and learn from best practice. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately, from a negative perspective, you know, prepare for the worst. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, unfortunately, it's not if, it's when. I think that's what everyone yes, always says. I feel that like we shouldn't necessarily end on a, on a <laughs> necessarily end on a, a negative like that. But I, you know, I think the fact that actually some of the, you know, if we do finish on more of a positive, some of those trends that you're, that you're seeing of more openness and engagement from organizations, I think, you know, the, if we talk about that and, you know, the library, British library is a good example of, you know, that level of openness, hopefully we can see that increase this year. Um, because I think the general, you know, that if, if, if the response from everyone is positive that they've taken that right sort of approach and organizations do that, then I think hopefully that will, you know, kind of continue as a trend and organizations can, yeah, can, can, can obviously use, you know, use the media and use the, the channel in terms of being able to, to, you know, to, to, to do better in the future and also, you know, respond better and improve their PR a little bit from, from everything, you know, from, from what happened. So, well, that was a really, really good discussion. I want to thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I hope um, some of it's been useful to uh, the people that are listening in. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Well, everybody, thank you very much for listening. Don't forget you can like and subscribe on all the normal channels um, and don't forget to listen out for the next episode. Um, other than that, thank you very much, Beth. Thank you.